All right, well, welcome to the crossing and happy Cinco de Mayo as well. Come on, good food today. Celebrating that. And uh, we always want to welcome those who are not in the room with us. We have our Southeast location are tuning in, our microsites across the city and in St. George. And those who are watching live on right now, probably eating breakfast as they're watching this. And so let's just welcome them as well into our conversation, our time together. And uh, how fun is it just in a few months, we're going to be cheering and clapping for those tuning in from the Midtown location. And it's going to be uh, Sahara and Valley View. He's excited about that. Sahara and Valley View, it's right next to the Mariana's Supermarket. And I cannot wait to get started. Uh, Jake, who's on staff with the Midtown location, I will be in the lobby. So if you want to talk about uh, going to that location or just what you can do to help, we would love to connect with you. And I love just this phrase, Mojnik. One, it kind of screws with my mind what it actually is. And like Lee said just a while ago, it's kingdom backwards. And I can't wait as people come in and collide with, uh, with you and with those in Midtown, that their lives are also going to be turned around backwards and upside down because they'll encounter the loving God. And I think about just the question of this whole series, what is the kingdom of God like? It's great to come in here, but as we go out into the world, how do we express this kingdom of God? What are its characteristics? And every single week we're going to hit a topic of the characteristics of the kingdom of God. When I think about not just the kingdom of God, but I also think about my kingdom. And I think about your kingdom, that you're a king and queen over. And I have some things that represent my kingdom. I have the Kentucky Wildcats, uh, the best, uh, yes, basketball team on earth, just a few of you. And you'll respect them later, okay? They're going to win the whole thing. They're amazing. This is a signed autograph by the team. It's worth five bucks. It's great. Um, anyway, so there, we also have our Vegas Knights, right? I mean, we cheer for them. Go Knights, go. And uh, I'm still heartbroken by the loss, but we're going to come back next year and win the whole thing. But we... We just spend time and we collect different people to hang out with or spend money and energy to be able to cheer on these teams. And then I have my kids that are part of my kingdom. I have different things that represent them. I have my, my kiddos, Binky, and I have olives because my daughter loves olives. I don't know what child she came from, a family, because that's disgusting. And then my uh, Aiden is a rock climber. Here's a rock climbing thing. And my daughter's uh, scrunchy. And the, the crazy thing about having kids, especially Aiden younger, is that I'm fully in charge of them, okay? I'm king over their lives. I get to decide what they eat and what they dress, the activities they're part of, what school they go to. And so that's a big deal, of course, in my life. Uh, I have my wife, of course, part of my kingdom. She's a big runner. Here's a, here's a medal, that, a race that we ran together. And just like my kids, I'm in charge of her, and I get to tell her. I'm just kidding. I can't. <laughs> I can't get it with a straight face. No, she picked out this outfit. That's how she, that's how our relationship works. But she's a big part of my kingdom, of course. Uh, and then I have uh, this golden Mr. Potato Head. And I've been with Student Ministry World for 12-something years. And at the end of every year, we're doing an award show. And in fact, in high school, it's this Wednesday. And we always pick something and spray paint it gold, just like an Oscar or a Grammy. And this year is a Mr. Potato, that year is Mr. Potato Head. And so my job is part of my kingdom, and it's a big part of my kingdom because working at a church, uh, my friendships come from this place. Um, my small group comes from this place. My spiritual walk, Pastor Shane, and pouring into me—that's a big part of my life. And 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 my passions and giftedness all come through this place. And your kingdom is different, right? Because your job is a job. And your friendships come, maybe come from somewhere else or maybe the job. And then your passions, giftedness uh, go through different places. So your kingdom was different in that way. And then I have my future, of course, with the crossing midtowns, part of our future. We've moved homes and moving schools. And your future, you get to oversee that as a part 
of your kingdom. And then there's things on this table that's not represented like my opinions or my thoughts on certain things in our culture, whether it's political issues or theological issues or, or habits. And what's happening in our day today is that if you look at things on my kingdom or opinions I have of certain topics and you just totally disagree, you would separate and reject people because of their opinions or thoughts, right? I mean, if somebody posts something online, like unfollow them, never talk to them again, right? We do that when it comes to our kingdoms. And I just think when it comes to the crossing, especially as you go to Midtown, a, such a diverse area, not just uh, ethnically or uh, in, in, in different uh, races, but also just in social economic statuses and, and all different backgrounds and, and family nucleuses are going to be different, that as a church, we should all be accepting and come as you are kind of place because we're not connected by opinions. We're connected by Jesus. We're connected by the kingdom of God and advancing that. And I just want people from the outside peering into the crossing and all of our different locations and envious of what's going on here and just asking that question, how are you all liking each other? Because you're nothing like each other. And the reason is we're not connected with our stuff or opinions, opinions we're connected because of Jesus and advancing his kingdom. But the question of the day and the question that you ask yourself and when you go to lunch today and, and talk to your, your kids is this question right here. What rule do you rule your majinic by or your kingdom by? What rule do you rule your kingdom by? See, if we're going to be that kind of church, then you need to decide for yourself how you're going to rule your individual kingdom. Now we're going to talk about five different rules that people tend to live by. Three of them come from Mike Bro. Mike Bro is a great pastor, a great speaker. He comes to the crossing often. He was actually my senior pastor when I was growing up in Kentucky uh, just a few years ago. And uh, he came up with three uh, rules. I think it was really creative. The first one is that people live by the iron rule, which is doing to others before they do unto you, right? Do to others before they do unto you. Uh, my wife and I, like I mentioned, we moved to a different home, and so we had somebody come and, and fix something in our house. And we were just kind of talking about to this guy and getting to know him. And, and he mentioned he had four daughters, and they've all graduated from high school. And I thought, four daughters? How'd you survive that? You know, how'd you get through that? And he just mentioned, well, you know, I, I live by a simple rule is I'd never said the three words to my kids. Because every time you said, I love you, something gets taken away from you. So I never said that to my daughters, but they knew what was expected, and they knew the rules in the house, and that's how they survived. Whoa, right? He lives by the iron rule. Basically looking at your kingdom, and you're going to attack other people's kingdom before they get to yours. My mom, she grew up in that kind of household with a, a dad who was a military guy. He just ruled with that iron type of rule. In order to get by in this world, you have to go after other people before they come to you. That's one rule. The next rule is the brass rule. The brass rule is doing to others exactly what they do to you. Doing to others exactly what they did to you, getting even. You hit, I'll hit. You cheat, and I'll cheat. I mean, a few years back, I used to love to prank my brother-in-law. And so one day, I'd like to get one of my kids' dirty diapers and put it on the back seat of his pouch in his driver's side of his Jeep. And that's simple, you know, simple little prank. And, but the Jeep, the roof was off, like the top was off. And so he probably wouldn't even smell it or even bother him. Well, a couple days later, started a downpour in Kentucky. So he had to put the top back on, I know. And so he, in high school, he went to a baseball game, picked up some of his friends and some girls especially, and got in his car. And it was just horrible. It was just the worst smell. And he felt, uh, you know, totally self-conscious. He thought, maybe it's him. Maybe it's a gym bag. He thought, I'm disgusting. I got to get this thing washed. And all of a sudden, a girl, 
girl in the back seat of the pouch of his driver's side seat picks up the diaper. My, Nate Johnson's trademark, I guess. And so he's like, Nate, you know, I'm going to get him back. And so he always threatened, I'm going to get you back, I'm going to get you back. Well, I left my car in the driveway of my in-laws where he was living at the time. And I was going to a high school camp for the whole week and I left my car unlocked. He and his buddy went to the local pond, caught two fish, and put the fish in my car for the entire week. And it's in July, people, okay? It's the hottest part of the year. And that is just unbelievable. You walk up to the car. You could smell it from the outside. I had to change my clothes every time I drove somewhere. I thought I was going to sell it. That's how bad he got me. And when it comes to pranks, my brother-in-law, he lived by this rule. Hey, if you get me, I'm going to get you. And even worse, and I haven't pranked that guy ever since, okay? I'm scared of him <laughs> now. But we do this all the time, right? If somebody messes with your kingdom, with your stuff, talks about your team, your players, right? You go back at them. Recently, a kid in, uh, in our school talked to my daughter about what she was eating and kind of made fun of her and stuff. I'm like, oh, let me talk to your parent. Like, who's your parent? Who's, I'm going to talk to them. And we do that. When you mess with our kids especially, I'm going to mess right back. We live by that brass rule. The, the third rule is what we call the silver rule. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It's sort of like a good rule, but in negative, right? Okay, I won't murder my neighbor, but also won't be nice to them either. Okay, that's how you just stay away from each other. And what this looks like is you have your kingdom and you have everybody else's kingdom, and you're just fine whatever they want to do with their stuff and their kingdom with their money and parenting as long as it doesn't mess with you. We're good, right? We're separate. It reminds me of like the garage door in our neighborhoods. And we all do this where we get in our garage door, we get in, we close the garage door, and we're all good. Right? We're great neighbors together because we don't mess with each other. We don't talk to each other. And we live by this rule. Well, then there's the fourth rule. And this one's a big one. We all know this rule. You probably taught it to your kids or somebody said it, said it to you once. In fact, in 1993, a collection of 143 leaders from all the major world religions came together for a declaration of a global ethic to find the universal truth that all people can live by. And a part of this ethic, this declaration, they quoted from a man spoken this 2,000 years ago. In Matthew 7, 12, Jesus says this, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So in everything, your entire world, your entire kingdom, what sums up everything you've learned and understood, do to others what you have them do to you. This is what we call the golden rule, right? Do to others what you would have them do to you. So for me, you know, I want to be treated with kindness, with patience, with grace, and I want to be able to share that with others too, treat people that way as well. And it covers all situations and all decision-making. It's a very others-first kind of mindset. See, each letter of Majinik, we're going to highlight throughout this series. The first week, last week, was more is less, and today is others first. And if you live by the golden rule, it's a great one. It's a great one that people would want to imitate. But there's a flaw there's a flaw in the golden rule. And I hate to say there's a flaw in what Jesus said, but there is a flaw. And because he does a different rule, which we're going to get to later. The flaw is the golden rule, it's different for every single person, right? Because how you want to be treated is, how, is different than how I want to be treated. And your personality type and your Enneagram and Myers-Briggs, it's different than mine. 
Like, for instance, for me, if you're going to talk to me, or maybe especially if it's negative, I don't like to be spoken to bluntly, okay? It hurts my feelings. So when I speak to other people, I do it with a little sugar on it because I don't want to hurt their feelings. That's my kind of personality. Or uh, when it comes to people helping me and my family, I don't want it to inconvenience them. If it costs too much money, takes too much time away from them or, or energy or for families, then I feel guilty if they're even helping me, if it's starting to cause inconvenience. And I'm sort of the same way to other people. But you're different. And we're all different in this room. So the golden rule is kind of based on you. And so it's really inconsistent, which means there needs to be another rule, a final rule, a more consistent rule. And Jesus gives us this rule. Very clear. But before we get there, I want to set up this scene. We're going to be sitting into John 13. So you can follow along on the screen or if you want to open up your Bible, Bible apps, you can as well. But before we get into what he did in this moment, he and friends, the 12 disciples, go into room. And it's not beginning, uh, beginning of a joke. They go into a room, and in this room, at this time, there wasn't a servant there. See, servants, anytime you'd walk into a room, uh, Jewish people in that day are super hyper on cleanliness from their hands to their feet. And, of course, you'd have to be. Can you imagine first century roads and what people must be walking on? I mean, mud, the dust, animals, and kids, and food. What's in between their toenails? And, and, and Oh, disgusting. So you have the servant, you walk in, and they would clean their feet, but no one was there to clean their feet. And then the disciples uh, would go in, and they would sit at this table. And the table, uh, we think, is like this, Right? where Jesus is at the center and everyone else is around. But actually, the table is a U-shaped table of three different sides, and it's called a triclinium. It sounds like a Star Wars planet. But they said this triclinium, and Jesus is still at the head of the table, and all the disciples are trying to rush to be as close as they can to him because the closer they are to Jesus, the head of the guest of honor, the better the kingdom looks. And the crazy thing about servants, to go back to that, servants had no rights especially like no human rights. They were considered equipment. And so just like your phone or shovel, if it breaks and it's done, what do you do with it? You can discard it. You can throw it away. And masters had the right to discard servants. In fact, if they had kids, then their kids were to the owners. And so they walk in this room. There's no servant. Everyone's rushing to get right next to Jesus. And Jesus is watching all of this. And he's seeing the power plays, the authority, the status, the kingdoms, all trying to get to his kingdom and his authority. And so this is what happens in verse 4 in John 13. It says this, So he got up from the table, took his robe off, and wrapped a, ta- a towel around his waist. Now this seems maybe like a, maybe not, insig- uh, not a significant verse, but I love this because it shows the courage and bravery of Jesus. Then when he sees people living by a certain rule, he gets up from the table. He takes action. And we get to do that for ourselves. When people are living a different rule around us, we get the opportunity to stand up, to get away from our table and take some action. But then he shows us what kind of action to take. And instead of holding on to his kingdom with power and authority, he takes it off. He lets go. So he gets up from the table. He takes off his robe. He puts a towel around his waist and he poured a water into a basin. And then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him, meaning that he is going to go to the status and to the level of a servant who had no rights. Then there's an incredible dialogue between him and other disciples. You have to read it. It's fantastic. But, and then later on it says, after washing all their feet, 
he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? See, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. When you look at my kingdom, I am Lord and I am teacher. That's my authority. That's my status. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. See, what he's doing is going back to that golden rule, isn't he? You know how you're supposed to, in every situation, all things, treat each other the way you want to be treated? And as they walked into this room, the disciples looked around and probably wondered, I wonder who's going to wash my feet. Are you going to wash it? I'm not going to wash it. Are you going to wash it? And Jesus said, okay, since no one's washing it, I'm going to show you the example of what the golden rule is like. But I think then in that moment, there's another rule, another command that shows up that makes it all consistent. And he says this, a new command I give you. And in that time, for a Jewish person to hear another person say a new command, that would have been blasphemy. Because the only people who can give new commands and new laws is God. The Ten Commandments was from God. The 600 plus laws are coming from God. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Give us a new command. Do you think you're as good as God, as equal as God? And Jesus is like, yeah, a new command I give you, to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, that you're with me if you love one another. He has taken his kingdom. Instead of leveraging it for himself, he leveraged it for the sake of other people. See, he gives a new rule now. It's this rule, the platinum rule. Do to others what Jesus would do. See, treat other people the way I would do it. Because you humans, we have limits. We put conditions on things. We tire out. But with Jesus, it is unlimited. It is unconditional. It's to the end. It's no matter what. It's sacrificial. It's unreasonable to anybody and everybody because that's how Jesus loved everyone. And so instead of just treating people like you want to be treated, how about you do it the way I would do it, which is to the end and sacrificial and to everybody. Andy Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, he says this about the platinum rule, that it's more simple but far more demanding. It's more simple in all situations and all things in your kingdom. Just do it the way Jesus would do it. Man, that is far more demanding, more time, more energy, more finances. It's, it's looking at your kingdom, others first, looking at your kingdom and leveraging it for the sake of others in all situations. Very practically, living out this rule, it's asking this one question over and over again to people around you, to everyone around you. It's this question. What can I do for you? In fact, let's all say it together in this room out loud. What can I do for you? An online, a southeast location, everybody turn to your neighbor, your spouse, your kids, deeply in their eyes saying, what can I do for you? And as soon as you ask that question, you have to follow through. Whatever they're going to say, it's going to come the way that Jesus would do it. More simple, but far more demanding. It reminds me of a, uh, just a few months ago where my wife and I, we had uh, our fourth kid, Milo. And, uh, and in our house, we had sort of the rule set. My wife was going to be with Milo. And I was going to be in charge of the other three uh, crazy people. And uh, 
I was going to be with them as early as they woke up in the morning. I was going to be there with them. I was going to get them dressed. I was going to get them ready for school, get their lunch packed. If they had to do homework, I was going to be in charge of that. While my wife was in charge of Milo, keeping him alive. So that was our role. And then I would come back from, uh, from work, and I'd still be in charge of these guys all the way until bedtime. And parents, if you have young kids, you know this. As soon as bedtime's done, it's bedtime for me as well. Like, I'm knocked out. And it's an exhausting routine over and over again, every single day, hands-on. And so just as the days went on, as the weeks went on, months went on, I just I began to lose it a little bit, right? I had, a little, I had anger come out of me, which I'm not really an angry guy. And one night, I had a mason jar next to my bed, and I knocked it over. And I lost it. Like, that was the 800th cleanup I had that day. And it was even my fault now. It wasn't the kid's fault. And so I grabbed that mason jar and I slammed it as hard as I could on the table trying to break it. I didn't break it, which made me more mad, right? But <laughs> I slammed it down and my wife went, whoa. And anytime your wife is shocked by an emotion you have and you're shocked by emotion, you probably have to do something about that. So the next day, my wife just asked a question. What can I do for you? And I felt horrible, okay? Because she's with this guy all the time. And here I am losing it. And she's just stable. She's great. Keeping him alive. Everything's awesome. And I'm like, nothing. I'm fine. I can handle it. I'm a man. It's gonna be, I'm going to figure it out. And she said, you know what? No, I need to do something. How about this? How about on Mondays and Tuesdays, you just wake up whenever you want to and you get out of the house. And you can go work out. You can go read. You can go to work early. As long as you're home by 4, I don't care what you do. Would that help you? And I almost started crying because <laughs> that's exactly what I needed, right? I, ne I needed to get out. I needed space. I needed to, to think for a second to kind of do some self-care stuff. But also, I knew what a big deal it was for her because she's up all night. And she says, now wake up and get all these knuckleheads ready for the day. And I'm just, I'm not there to help her. And so the first few weeks, I, I felt so bad getting up, so guilty. But then uh, three or four weeks later, I asked my wife, like, are things better? Am I different because of this? She's like, oh, you're a totally different person. I'm so glad you get to do that. And so for Mother's Day, she gets a brand new car and all the jewelry she wants. and you know, I'm just kidding. I'm so thankful for her because when you ask this question and you live by the platinum rule, guess what? It is sacrificial. It is to the end. It is no matter what. There's no conditions attached. She didn't say, you get Mondays and Tuesdays, and guess what? What you do for me. You know, she didn't act like that. It's up to you. Take care of yourself. And I'll be willing to sacrifice that for us. See, she looked at her kingdom, and she figured out, how do I leverage this, whatever I have, for Nate and for our marriage and for our family? And it kind of goes back to your kingdom with your kids or maybe people in your life, how do I leverage what God has given me and how do I just give it away? How do I love others the way that Jesus would love? In all hobbies and all areas in your job, when you look to the left and right of the people you work with and you begin to ask that question, what can I do for you? It begins to shift your whole office, your whole organization. Even, I know this is funny, but even with your sports team, imagine inviting people over that you normally wouldn't invite over to watch your team and the Golden Knights. How loving is that? What can I do for you? Just come over and hang out and have some food and let's just watch a game. That seems about right. And I think that's the way that Jesus probably would live out. And what I've noticed about myself is that every single time that I ask this question, what can I do for you? And somebody says, no, I'm good. They typically ask back, well, what can I do for you? And it's not a manipulative thing. It's a Jesus thing. 
Now we're all living by the platinum rule. And I think from mountain's edge of Summerlin, if we begin to ask that question, they begin to ask that question back, I think the neighborhoods begin to shift, the, the, the schools begin to change. I think all the way up into the Midtown location from McNeil Estates to Rancho Benito to Wood Creek Apartments, East Las Vegas, if we just begin to ask, what can I do for you? Live by the platinum rule, that area begins to shift and change. Inspirata to Silverado Ranch, even all the way to Snow Canyon to Dixie University in St. George, Utah, where we're watching right now, all that begins to shift, all because we decide to live our kingdom, not by the iron rule, the brass rule, the silver rule, not even the golden rule, but by the platinum rule, and asking each other, what can I do for you? So, of course, the question is for today, who this week do you need to ask the question, what can I do for you? And no matter what they say, you're going to do it sacrificially, unconditionally, no limits, to the end to anybody and everybody. See, it's more simple, but far more demanding. Let's do that this week. Let's be that kind of church this week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thanks so much for our time, our space that you have given us to just kind of self-reflect our kingdoms and the things that you allow us kind of oversee, but not in a way that we're holding on to it, but in letting it go and leveraging it for the sake of others. Lord, I pray that as I was speaking, that you were moving, you're bringing up people's faces and situations. I'd be able to ask that question, okay, what can I do for them? What does it mean to, to, to live out, to speak, to, to do things the way you would do it, not the way I would want to do it? Lord, I pray that we're more courageous, that we stand up. When we see other people living by a different rule, that we begin to live differently, this modernate kind of kingdom and just sit back and watch. Watch your kingdom explode. We pray these things in your name. And everyone said, amen. Well, right now.